Hey friends, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's so good to be back with you. First and foremost, I want to apologize for not having a show for you last week. I was actually uh, in a car accident on last Friday and it was very mild. I'm totally fine, but it was one of those situations where it could have turned into something very serious very quickly. And so call it grace, call it luck, call it whatever you want. It was just one of those weekends where I needed a minute to reflect on what happened, reflect on who I want to be moving forward and reflect on certain things that have happened to me over the course of this last year and think about those things and, and press forward into a, a better tomorrow. So I just want to be transparent with you guys where I'm at. I'm totally fine, perfectly safe. But like I said, it was just one of those things where I needed a minute. Um, today, I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Fortunately, I get to consider a lot of people friends because of this podcast, but these are people who I consider good friends. These are people who I know who have poured so much life into me, have spoken truth over me in so many different contexts of, of joys and victories and also pains and losses over the course of the last few years, particularly in my uh, deconstruction journey. Personally, Derek and Rachel Myers, the geniuses behind the Instagram, your favorite heretics page. If you guys don't follow them on Instagram, please go check them out. They are a treasure trove of a resource for people who are looking for answers to questions that most people would find uncomfortable. And they also have a Facebook community. Uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, or if you have my email, redrawingthebath at gmail.com, I would love to connect you there. Um, yeah, today's really good. We talk a little bit about backstory. We talk a little bit about theology. We talk a little bit about things that we are hopeful for. One of the things that I'm so thankful for my friendship with these two amazing individuals for is the fact that in the midst of this time, in the midst of this frustration, in the midst of so many questions and doubts and disappointments and shortcomings and just a lot of negativity that they are people who are hopeful for the future that they are people who not only are hopeful for the future but are actively participating in creating a more hopeful future a, a more inclusive future a more honest future and so these are just people who i love dearly i consider them family um and i'm just so excited for you guys to hear the interview so without further ado derek and rachel myers your favorite heretics Hello friends, welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. As usual, this is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity to do a couple of firsts. The first first of the day is I get to have two guests on the show today, and the second first is that I'm actually friends with these people in real life, that I actually have a relationship with this couple outside of Facebook, outside of podcast land, outside of all of it, that I consider these people friends, and I consider these people uh, encouragers in, in my personal life and in, in my spirituality, but also on a project that they've been working on on Instagram called Your Favorite Heretics. So today we get to talk deconstruction with my favorite heretics, Derek and Rachel. Derek, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. We're so stoked. What's up, Chris? <laughs> What's up? So I, I usually start and I mean, we can go as long as you guys want with this. We can go as short as you guys want with this, especially because there are two of you. But 
just kind of talk to me about your deconstruction journey, um, the journey towards the, po- uh, not the podcast, towards the Instagram account. That was, um, and, sorry. That was prophetic. Yeah. 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 yeah you guys got to make a podcast. That's, that's, the, that's the next step. I, I looked at Derek one day and I said, you know that we've really lost it when we discuss making a podcast. And I'm not kidding that day. Like four people reached out to us like, are you guys ever going to start a podcast? And then my best friend texted me because she's moving and she was like, oh, just to let you know, if you guys ever want to start a podcast, I'm setting up a podcast studio in my house. And I was like, oh my gosh. Heck <laughs> yeah. I've opened and the Lord has spoken. <laughs> yeah, he's made he's made the way. He's he's uh parted the Red Sea for you guys <laughs> in that way. Uh but no, seriously, like what where did you guys start out? Like I we we kind of grew up in in similar faith environments, which is what makes this conversation so interesting and fun. Um, and we've kind of shared our stories as as the stories have evolved. But for those who don't know, like what what has that experience been like for you guys? Um, so I'll start because he pointed at me. Um, <laughs> so for me, I actually had a very different upbringing than um, I know you both had. For me, mm. um, I was not raised where faith was something that was in my household. My mom was raised Catholic, but my dad just always hated organized religion. Um And I just kind of fell into being an atheist most of my life. And so converting to Christianity for me, you know, I had a lot of struggles in my youth, um, most namely my eating disorder. Um, And so when I was overcoming that, I converted to Christianity and found a lot of strength in that and strength in the community that I had never, I don't want to say never had before in my atheism, Mm. because I think I, I would have had I grown up in atheism um, like now, if I were an atheist, because, you know, there's not a solid community of atheists that gather every Sunday, you know, so it looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I was young and, you know, when you're young, you're around a lot of just more immature people. Um, so when I got to Christianity, everybody seemed so put together and so nice and so welcoming. And I think I was received so easily because I was like a new convert And everybody could pray for me and pour their wisdom into me. And I was just one of those like really young, hungry Christians. And so I was really accepted because I wanted to change, you know, so Hmm. growing up and, you know, having more answers in my faith and, and, you know, being discipled and all of those things, I realized like how uncomfortable with myself I was. I was so insecure and who I was, I would like went from being a very, you know, regardless of my eating disorder, like a very confident person in my voice and in my opinions and my beliefs, um, to then really just feeling, you know, I didn't have the answer to every, anything. And I was worthless with a lot. And, you know, like I was told that I was sinful and, you know, that I was saved by grace and all of these things, which are genuinely really good messages that you want to hear but the culture that it brought with it um I think was where it got off for me you know because I'm still Mm. Christian I still identify as Christian so it's not that I think these things are bad I just think that they are heavily misunderstood and put on to people in the wrong way Mm. and so um I remember I had a very very close mentor who kind of went off the deep end with eschatology 
and like really traumatized me with the fact that Jesus was going to come back. And this was the year that Derek and I got engaged. Um, and up until that point, I had no reason not to believe her. And she mm. really took that liberty. And I, I like was the most depressed I'd ever been in my life. I was convinced that this was around the time like ISIS got really big, um, mm. all of their, you know, terrorist attacks and stuff. And so I thought that ISIS was going to find me by my Facebook and, you know, come in like, door to door in America. And it just, it was so haunting and so hard for me. And I like, it made me look back and be like, where is my trust in Jesus? I thought that I loved him. I thought that I had so much trust in him. Why am I reacting this way? And so I just, you know, and then we, we went to England and went a part of YWAM and that was like even closer to them. And I was convinced because we were on a Christian base that they were going to come. It just, it didn't stop. Like the tormenting did not stop. Um, and so I really, for me personally, that was the start of my deconstruction and where I just had to completely walk away from my faith for a while. And mm. I, you know, only the person of Jesus really had me hold on. Um, but I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped, you know, talking about it. I couldn't go to church. Um, I couldn't pray. It just, my view of God just popped in a moment and it was this like evil, like judgmental, like keeping of shame, God that I realized that I believed in. Um, and so I knew that wasn't him. And I knew that I had to really sort through my thoughts if I wanted to come back to this faith that I had converted to. Um, and so I, you know, started going to school, I wanted to be a dietitian to help uh, women in the same circumstance I was when I was younger. And then I just kind of fell into being a religion major and oh. uh, learning at a secular school because I'd only ever learned from it um, or about it from a, a man, a, a Bible college or, you know, from an, what is that term that I'm looking for? Apology. Thank you. I'd only ever learned at a, uh, about the Bible from a Bible college or from an apologetic standpoint to defend my mm. faith, never to like have it thrown into the hands of scholars and debate it and look at it and, you know, look at the time that the text was written in, like actually, actually unbiasedly look at the time. You mm. know, everyone's like, well, you learn history at a Bible college. Yeah. Well, that's filtered through the lens of the Bible. You know, that's yeah. that, like, you don't, if you want to be unbiased, if you want to like get outside of the culture of Christianity, you have to put yourself, well, in my case, I had to put myself in that position where, you know, it was just looked at from a scholarly perspective and an academic perspective. Mm. Um, and that really helped me reconstruct. I remember leaving class every day, like crying because I was so challenged on things that like, no, this is Christian. You can't question these things, you know, to being like, well, that's not really what it is, you know? Mm. Um, and so it just was super eye-opening for me. And I think a lot of people are afraid of taking liberties within Christianity, because if you don't look the same, you're, you're afraid of hell, you know, you're afraid of the judgment yeah. of God. And I've just really landed in this place where like, you know, I'm going to err on the side of love and I'm going to err on the side of acceptance. And if that's not God, then like, is that really is, is that honestly him? You totally. know, is like, if I 
can't love his children or, you know, if I can't love myself or if, if I have to make excuses to judge people from his word, then I don't think that that, I think that's missing the point entirely. Mm. And so it's kind of, I'm in this place and I think a lot of people would be afraid to say this, but I've really come to accept it more and more where like, I kind of hold his word with a grain of salt because I want to hear people. I want to see people. I want to be with people and where they are. And that is more important to me than having correct theology, you know, or that's more important to me than, you know, focusing on judgment, focusing on sin. Um, and, and that's just kind of where I am. Like the, the word is the word. And I think it's incredibly helpful for what it is. Um, but it's not a stumbling block to get in the way of, of being there for people and understanding people. And yeah, that, that's, that's my deconstruction story. So I guess, Heck yeah. yeah, Derek. Chris, did you have anything to follow up with that? I mean, I don't want to just dive right in. <laughs> no, I I did have a, a a question for you, Rachel. Since with in regards to your mentor with eschatology, I, I mean, I feel like that's that's always been a hot topic uh, within the evangelical church, and I think especially now with all this QAnon stuff and whatever, I feel like it's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, but I I would be interested to to hear you articulate because I feel like that's kind of Jesus coming back is kind of like the hope. Mm-hmm. of Christianity like that's that's something that we look forward to and so and and I I came from a from a perspective where I was actually really excited for like tribulation like I mm-hmm. thought that was going to be really cool um but that might have just been con- conservative evangelical Chris Harmon post or pre-eternity education <laughs> um but uh, what was it about that idea that that created so much anxiety um so she sent me a series on youtube called uh know your enemy and it's by um well it doesn't really matter it was just a a very very long youtube series about 120 episodes but they were like five minutes long and it just had an interpretation of revelation that was very dark. Um, And for me, like growing up an atheist, I didn't have the Left Behind series. You know, I wasn't traumatized by the Left Behind series. I wasn't, you know, told every Sunday when I was younger that like, oh, get ready for Jesus. Like I filtered all of these things through an adult lens. Um, And so there was no like pre-existing, um, ideologies about it for me. So honestly, like this was the first time that I really had processed Jesus coming back, you know, Mm. and it was from a perspective that was incredibly traumatizing, you know, Mm. because I was um, already struggling um, with my faith as it was. Uh, This is when we were in California and I just like didn't feel like I you know, being very close to an Enneagram 8, I wasn't a kind, proper, quiet, you know, I'm tattooed, all of these, like, I didn't feel um, worthy, yeah, that I fit this mold of like a traditional Christian woman. Um, And I always hated myself for that. You know, I, I never felt like I could be free to be myself, um, which is Mm. very 
opinionated, very strong, a strong voice. Um, and now I've come to accept that. But um, so I was already struggling feeling enough. Um, and I know like the listeners are probably going to be like, well, that's on you. That's not on church. Well, church culture is that, you know, like that yeah. is the essence of church culture. And so I think I was very right in feeling that. I think you go to the self-help church and it tells you ways that you've fallen short constantly, you mm. know, instead of just like resting in who you are and being in love with Jesus and his people, like it's another way that you've fallen short, another way that you can focus on yourself to refine for the Lord, you know, and that's the message that we're getting, regardless if that's what was intended or not, that is it. It's a constant um, carrot on a stick that yeah. you are you've got it dangling in front of you. And it's like, well, if you just tried a little bit harder, then you'd reach that place of where you're actually walking in, in a manner worthy of the Lord or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? Like this constant in it, like unattainable level of performance and you end up just exhausting yourself. And one, you either end up really delusional and self-righteous and hypocritical or you end up hopeless and despondent because you realize your inability to reach this particular mark of perfection or righteousness or holiness or whatever, insert cliche here, that ends up not drawing you effectually closer to Jesus. It ends up making you feel more and more unworthy, like Rachel yeah. was sh- saying. But it's mm. so- it's so hard to recognize that because that is the essence of the culture. And so like waking up to that, because like so many people feel it, but so many people, um, as we've addressed spiritual bypassing on our page, so many people will bypass that because that's what they feel they need to do. You know, that's the culture that, um, that's the lie of the culture that you need to suck it up, just like keep going or, not suck it up, but like the more tormented you feel, the closer you are to Jesus, you know, the more tormented you feel about your wretchedness, like you're actually better, you know, like you're doing better, the worse you feel about yourself. It's holy to hate yourself or something. Yeah. It's like that martyr mentality, um, which is just, you know, like love your neighbor as yourself. Like nobody can understand and conceptualize loving themselves, you know, Um, But kind of back onto your question. um, So I was in that place of just like a lot of self-hatred, you know, that I covered up with, this is how I should feel, you know, like I need to continually refine myself, sanctify myself, all of these things, which I think are true. I continually need to become a better person. You know, we're constantly growing, but it doesn't look like the culture portrays. Totally. Um, So with all of these thoughts going on in my head and then Derek and I having just gotten engaged and I was so looking forward to my life and the Mm. kids that I wanted to have and all of these things. And then like, oh, well, Jesus is coming back at the end of this year. This is 2015. And yeah, we should be thankful. And I was like, well, I, I don't want Jesus to come back. I want to live my life, you know, like Mm. these things. And I had never had an experience with eschatology in that way. You know, I never... Mm. Um, and I felt selfish for desiring a marriage for desiring children. And it was this just like complete, are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, go for it. 
okay, it was a mind fuck. Like if I'm completely yeah. honest, like I had to beat myself in a submission to be thankful for Jesus coming back when I knew that it was going to bring great pain to the world, you know, which I have my different From views on. Es- yeah, yeah. I have my different mm-hmm. views on eschatology. Now I took a class that was literally called apocalyptic literature um from a a christian scholar um and you know i was tormented every day that like something was going to happen to like break a seal of judgment or another trumpet was going to be sound and you know i was going to wake up and the the earth was going to have like crazy earthquakes and we lived in california which was like the, <laughs> the center of earthquakes you know and the blood yeah. moon that yeah. happened oh the, the blood oh moon no oh my gosh and so, all the books that were written around it by ugh. these crazy conspiracy yeah just yeah so that was a lot of like where my tormenting came from and you know it made sense like isis was out to kill the christians and you know, all of these things and it with that view, it made sense that he was coming back that year and that I had to be thankful that yeah. all these terrible things were going to happen, you know? And that was like, I don't, I'm not thankful for that. And so it was just like this great depression that I couldn't feel thankful, you know, for that. And that was my experience. I know that's not everybody's yeah. experience, but you know. No, totally. I mean, I remember um, I had the opportunity to go to Israel a few years ago and standing in front of the dome of the rock on the temple mount Mm -hmm. and thinking that whole and still holding to that type of evangelical eschatology and really having this just completely kind of just existential crisis of like literally this building's going to get destroyed and all these people are going to die like why like why is that hopeful like why is that a good thing why am i supposed to be wanting this day to come as you're walking around and you're getting food from a Palestinian person, or as you have a short conversation over coffee with an Israeli guy, like it, it just, it's a, it, yeah, there's just something about it, especially now. That's like, it's, it's just terrible. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah. But Derek, what's your story? Well, um, I grew up differently than Rachel, obviously. Um, I was raised in a pretty standard evangelical home. Uh, both my parents were Christian. Um, and my mom was uh, kind of more the devout one growing up to where, you know, she taught me about, you know, reading my Bible and praying and all this stuff. And <clears throat> I think from a very early age, there was a genuine hunger in my heart to know to know God and and to have like a real relationship with Jesus. But what was modeled for me, and if my mom ever listens to this, she knows that I don't mean any ill will by this, but it's, uh, I was, legalism was largely the model in which I uh, understood Christianity. It was the, the, the lens in which I saw everything through. So to me, a good Christian was, how can I say all of the right things how can I perform and basically have my shit together in a way that, you know, God would finally be proud of me. Um, Mm. And so my whole life was spent trying to keep up this perfect facade to where, whether it was through having the right answers to all the questions or, you know, making sure I never said a cuss word in my life, um, making sure that, 
you know, whatever it might have been, that I just had the appearance of a very, very good boy. And to me, that was the essence of Christianity. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until um, late in high school, early on into college, where I got into a relationship that I thought was like everything that I had longed for and hoped for in the realm of acceptance and approval and love. And, um, you know, I, I just was pretending I was, I was fake. Um, and anyway, it, it got to a point where that relationship ended in a devastating way. And, um, it really kind of just made me reevaluate my life and, you know, rethink what, you know, I was, I was going to do with my life. Um, I had grown up playing baseball and ended up not pushing myself to go to a better uh, college because the relationship I was in, you know, I, it was just very unhealthy and it was codependent and I probably could have gotten into a lot better schools. My dream was always to go to UCLA. And anyway, point being is I ended up at a small community or not a small community college. It was a big community college in the LA area. Um, and, uh, started trying to play baseball there. And that was part of the reason why I went there and, um, ended up red shirting my first year. And, uh, as I got ready to go back my second year to play, um, that was right around the time where I, I began having this desire to, to be in, in ministry. Um, I felt a calling to pursue that. And um, that's really kind of where the relationship with Jesus that was very religious and legalistic became something that started uh, touching my heart in a way that was, again, not just these ideas that I ascribed to or these moral beliefs that informed my life, but um, like hey, God's not like this distant reality, but he's like presently dwelling within me. And I have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus that um, informs so much more than just being a quote unquote good boy. So anyway, yeah. from that moment, I, I hung it up with baseball, uh, which I still have some regrets about in one way or another, but it is what it is. I, I still love baseball. I'm a huge diehard Dodger fan, but decided to pursue Bible college, which, uh, you kind of hinted at earlier, which the three of us have in common. That's where I met Rachel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that was really the beginning of a dark night of the soul for me. Um, I, I remember faith feeling about as tangible as thin air. Uh, it, it was kind of the end of this paradigm of performance driven Christianity. Um, and I realized that this mask and this facade that I tried keeping on what I thought was Christianity, um, was really unattainable. And, um, anyway, it got to a point where I burnt out and I remember taking some time away from classes and, um, you know, needing to take some time to just pray. And I remember one of the most fundamental sort of, uh, to borrow a Christianese term encounters, uh, kind of the face-to-face -face sort of, um, aha moments, if you will, spiritually for me was at a park in Simi Valley, California. I remember I was exhaustively praying, just begging God and doing all the right things. And I remember Jesus just interrupting my thoughts. 
And it was a moment where I felt like he said, stop trying to do and just be. And at that moment, I realized that so much of my life was this obsession with doing and this unfamiliarity with the true rest of being. And what it meant to be for me became this growing revelation that I'm not loved for what I do. I'm loved for who I am. And that changed everything for me. And so Christianity ceased being about this performance and it became more about this acceptance of who I am and taught me to let go of these facades and these masks and all these things. So anyway, fast forward, uh, things continued. I ended up leaving Bible college. We got married. We went overseas to try to do this YWAM thing in England, uh, which was great. I, I had some great times with God there. Um, Rachel was in the beginning of her deconstruction, going through uh, her journey through depression and stuff. Mm. Uh, but for me, that was a lot of um, intentional alone time with God and unworking some things still and and helpful for me. Um, then when we moved back to Atlanta, it was like giddy up time, time to be a real man, time to be a husband and a dad. Uh, you know, my son was born. Uh, we moved to Atlanta April of 2015 or April, December of 2015. My son was born in March of 2016. And, um, yeah, that, that really started, uh, slowly changing my perspective and how I understood things. I think I remember Mm. early on and being a dad and just really understanding a different perspective of Abba. Um, and that became such an important relationship for me, just understanding the father heart of God. Um, but as time went on, I remember just, you know, discovering grace and discovering, you know, uh, the freedom of, of the finished work of Jesus and, and all these things. And one thing after another, I, I remember just looking at different eschatological views and seeing the different perspectives on hell, which I never knew about. I was like, oh, there's hell is just hell. It's, you know, you, if you don't know Jesus, then you're going to experience eternal torment. Uh, right. So really the beginning of my deconstruction started as I was exposed by a guy named Peter Hyatt, who um, had some YouTube videos, which I know YouTube videos have kind of a negative connotation, but he did this like video series that was a teaching series. It was so brilliant. And it was uh, artistic and well done. And it just introduced me to different thoughts. And from there, I somehow stumbled upon William Paul Young and a couple podcasts. I remember his podcast on the Bad Christian podcast. And that really just was like a paradigm shift for me. Right. Uh, I remember him talking about just um, kind of debunking penal substitutionary atonement. And that, again, was just such a fundamental that I thought was like a non-negotiable but at the time, as I was starting to explore these things, I remember sharing with Rachel and her looking like I had three eyes. She was like, uh, I don't think what you're thinking through is legit. So I kind of just put it on the shelf and uh, continued going on with life. And as time went Which on- Which is really funny looking back. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, that is really funny. And I kind of want to interject because a lot of people think that because I went to a secular college to major in religion that I led him to deconstruction, but he actually led me to deconstruction. (laughs) Hmm. 
I'm such a bad husband. Um, yeah, yeah, you're awful. Shame. Don't you know you're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account one day, Derek? I know, man. Sorry, Jesus. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, he's <laughs> Jesus is happy that we're deconstructing. Yeah. Keep that. Amen. Um, anyway, so we um, had that discussion. I remember just kind of putting it back on the shelf and just knowing that, you know, I don't think I was at the right time in my life to where I was ready for that. Hmm. And so um, time went on. I remember it was always in the back of my head. Like I couldn't share Jesus or, you know, even talk gospel without thinking in the back of my head, knowing I don't really believe in eternal conscious torment. It was like, as soon as I was exposed to alternative perspectives on hell, I remember just something within me deeply resonating with, Mm. I always knew that this something wasn't right, but I didn't have the framework for it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, after it it was honestly last year, it's like I picked it back up off the shelf and blew the dust off the covers of the pages and uh, picked up where I left off, removed the bookmark and kept on going. Um, and, you know, getting exposed to different podcasts, uh, like, can I say this at church? I, you know, I remember we just talked the other day, Chris was like, this was our friend anniversary and, and kind of the beginning of me coming to the, you know, public, uh, and coming out, if you will, with my deconstruction. <laughs> and I remember you and I having our conversations on the phone and talking about different podcasts that would help you, um, you know, our mutual professor from Bible college, shout out to Doug Maine, uh, inviting us to water to wine. And uh, that being like a really fundamental turning point for me to have other people who are thinking through these similar topics. And anyway, so, you know, between rethinking uh, thoughts on, well, what does the Bible really say about hell? What, um, what is atonement? What, what really happened on the cross? All these things. It was like one thing after another. What is scripture? What is this inerrancy thing? You know, all this stuff that I'd heard, but it was just like, no, this is a non-negotiable. It is what it is. Like, And so as time went on, I think that it was so helpful because, I, you know, Robin Perry's talked about this, that theology is kind of like a spider web that like once you start hitting on one point, it just, it, it it's just starts uh, basically knocking down other points. And yeah. so, you know, everything's connected, but that was helpful for me because as I began to, you know, kind of untangle these spider webs and get free, I began to realize that Jesus and the gospel was so much bigger and so much more beautiful and so uh, just so much more glorious than I had ever seen before. And it was like all these things were making my soul jump up and down and do cartwheels. I was so excited to uh, this voracious hunger to dive into church history and uh, the patristic fathers and all these things and just understand alternative views. And it, it to me, that has been life-changing. And now I love getting to talk to anyone and everyone. I don't care if you're, you know, an atheist, a Buddhist, you know, a secular humanist, a, a, a 
witch or whatever. I like, I, I love getting to talk to people. And I think as Rachel mentioned earlier, this is what's helped me honestly love people without an agenda. Like, um, yeah. I fully believe uh, that ultimate reconciliation, universal reconciliation is going to be, you know, the, the end all, like God will be all in all. And, and, and that the work on the cross that God really was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting anyone's sins against him. And that, you know, this is good news of great joy. Like this is an announcement of something that's already been done that we get to share with people freely and whether they realize and embrace love whether they embrace God who is love in this life or whether it's post-mortem, I believe in the relentlessness of, of God's love and his pursuit that he won't stop pursuing relationship with every last person until all are in his embrace. And that's just the heart of a good father, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm at a point where, you know, fast forwarding to the present where I can't imagine, especially as a father, having kids and who bear my image and thinking anyone is dispensable. Being like, mm. well, yeah, I, I created some of these people just to torture them endlessly. Yeah. And we're supposed to say in the same breath that he's good and he's loving. Like, mm. Something's wrong there. And I think that for so long, cognitive dissonance in this. I was just about to say that word. This repeated, yeah. we tell ourselves the same thing over and over and that it's, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. And we, we like stuff down these questions and it's like, no, like scripture is meant to be wrestled with. It's meant to be questioned. And when you stop making the Bible something that it's not, to borrow Pete Enns, you know, uh, analogy, like it gives you the freedom to be able to approach it, not from this like strange, untouchable, spotless and flawless book, but really to being a, a, an, a story that is an arching narrative <clears throat> that covers people's experiences of of God throughout history. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so anyway, I know I've kind of uh, you know, rambled and rambled, but basically it's just opened my eyes to we have only seen but a sliver of how good God is. And right. if we have a thought that we're like, wow can God really be this good? He's better. But people somehow want to diminish God's goodness and his love. Well, no, his love doesn't really mean that. Or you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's perfect in his love and just in his love. So that means that even if you were to eternally torture somebody, that's just, you know, yeah. you get this like really twisted view of what justice is. And that's honestly like my, so uh, Rain's middle name is Freedom, which has always been Derek's word. And, and Rowan's middle name, our son's, um, is Justice. And for me, Justice has always been something like my go-to feeling is anger. I process a lot through my anger. Um, mm. And so for me, like like Justice to me means like, let's make that right. Like, you know, and so yeah. so long for somebody who cares so much about Justice, that was punishing the wicked when I, you know, was more in like a fundamentalist Christian mindset, you know, so like, not that I wanted that for anybody, you know, you want the souls to be saved from my worldview at the time. And, and so that whole like justice of like, 
oh, they have to go through self-deprecation to understand their wickedness. And that's just them mm. like, hating who they are is just, I remember when I was um, trying to come to terms with my self-hate, I listened, literally listened to this, literally listened <laughs> as if I could not literally listen. Um, I listened to this YouTube um, sermon by John MacArthur. It was on YouTube. Um, oh. and it literally, <laughs> sorry, that was very visceral. No, like it, it literally called hate yourself. And it was all about how we should absolutely hate ourselves because we are wicked. Like in our very nature, in our very nature, we hate God. And the only, only redeemable part of us is Christ in us. And, uh. I like anything that wasn't Christ in me and anything that wasn't in submission to him, I felt was just wretched as if there were parts of me that weren't in him, you know, but Christ is in you, John. So like, it was like, I, can I touch on that real quick? I think the fundamental flaw of much of fundamentalist evangelical theology is this perpetuated bullshit that says that we're separated from God. Mm. The reality is that we've been separated because of our thinking, not because of what's really true. Mm. And the breath of God has been breathed into humanity. And the reality of like, you know, kind of getting patristic in theology in a certain way, like the incarnation you know, is the recapitulation of humanity in the person of Jesus that he's taken on humanity on himself, living perfectly, and then through his his death and resurrection, co-raising humanity with him, not to change anything, but to to really awaken us to the reality that that God has always been with us, dwelling within us. But we've mm. not been awake to that. And um to me any like it, even now it's like if i were to share the gospel with someone it would be like this is what's already true of you you just don't know it yet yeah you know what i mean it's not like oh you believe it and now it's magically true of you <laughs> yeah poof yeah <laughs> yeah rachel did did you have anything else to 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 comment on on just that whole self-hate and listening to probably the worst person to talk <laughs> yeah. about self-hate um did you have anything else to expound on? Because I think that is a really important conversation to have. Yeah. So um, for me, you know, I've, I've been in rehab for my eating disorder. I've been through a lot of therapy. And, you know, it wasn't that I struggled with self-hate my whole life. I just, you know, struggled with my body image. And it really didn't start until I was a Christian where I really just mm. hated hated myself. Um, because it was like I was wretched. I was sinful. And so like getting messages like that from really um, widely accepted and followed church, I don't want to call him a father, but like a church leader, Mm -hmm. um, it does, it makes you feel like you have to like despise parts of you while also like not trusting yourself and any thoughts that pass through your mind are wicked and everything has to have this hedge of protection and, you know, you have to put on the armor. What is it? The, the armor of Christ. Gosh, I'm, it's so long since I've 
thought this way. So the armor it's, of God. The armor of God. Yeah. Yeah. Armor. So you know, praying the armor of God over your life so that you don't have a kink in your armor, so Satan can't get to you. You know, just. <laughs> It is so such a mind screw because you're yeah. constantly it's exhausting. Yeah, you're evaluating where you are constantly. It's like, how am I going to be better today? How am I going to be better today? And it's just, oh, I and you know, being um, I'm an I I go back and forth. Like I am a seven enneagram, but then like through a lot of my things, I'm I go hard into my wing eight. So you'll hear me say that I'm an eight a lot, but being an Enneagram seven and learning about my Enneagram seven through um, the Bible college that we were at and what that meant for me, you know, like I am, I do avoid pain in a lot of ways. And so constantly every day being confronted by it, it was like running, I was trying to run from myself and you just can't do that, you know? And Mm. I was trying to separate myself into who I knew I wasn't for so long. And it just, you know, it, it made me feel worthless. It made me feel, you know, like why would Christ ever love me? I'm so good, you know? And it's this mindset that I'm like, I should be eternally grateful to Jesus. You know, I should be like, like I love him and I love God, but I know my worth now. And Mm. I know that I am created in the image and the likeness of him. So And I don't think the goal was to ever feel wicked, you know, I think the goal was to ever hate myself. And I feel like with that message and especially like our youth receiving that message, how traumatizing it's either really traumatizing or it's really empowering for like a narcissist, you know, where you get this like high off of, oh, I have it figured out. And so I'm going to make sure everybody else knows. Yeah. You know, and it, and, uh, oh, I could go off of narcissistic leadership. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, it is like, it really depends on the person, how they take that message, but it can really go in a lot of di- different directions, but you know, self-hatred is one way or an egotistical narcissistic kind of overbearing of everybody else who is, who needs to beat themselves into submission of this message is another way to take it, you know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, one of my really great friends, I was in her wedding. She was in my wedding. Um, She's fundamentalist and, and realized that I, you know, didn't share the same views as her and like, just cut me off. And it, it Mm. hurts every day, you know, but knowing that I, what I have now, I would not give up for a friendship. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people. They're so afraid to talk about what they're going through, and they're so afraid to like question because they're so afraid of other people's judgment. Um, but like looking at that friendship. Sorry, I kind of like got off topic, but no, you're fine. That friendship, you know, because it is like she kind of took the road of like beating people into that submission of well, the word says, and well. (laughs) you know, you need to do this, this, and this. And it's, no, actually there is a lot more freedom, you mm. know, and I'm going to explore that. And Wait, I'm the Bible doesn't clearly means. say? <laughs> no, the Bible clearly says, Derek. It, it's very clear. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that that just, makes sense. Now now I know why there's 40,000 denominations who think yeah. similarly. Okay, cool, cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're all on the same page. We're, yeah. 
we're all in the, the same same mind. Clearly, we're clearly yeah, yeah. engaged. Well, I think that's why. I mean, I, I he's kind of a moderate, like a, a moderate person within the deconstruction world. But I always bring it back to just the works of Dallas Willard within the context of of understanding that the. I was listening to a sermon of his the other day, and he was talking about uh, like the good news is not that um, God killed Jesus so that we don't have to burn forever. Like the good news that <gasps> Jesus preached. Heretic. Oh, sorry. That's fine. You can take it up with Dallas Willard. He wrote it. Not me. We need the heretic happy hour uh, button where they have that says heresy. Yeah. I'll have to talk to, I'll have to talk to Ralph about getting that for Probably myself. copyrighted by now. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be. Um, but he was talking about the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that John the Baptist preached, the gospel that the apostles preached was that the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning that it's here now. And this, even he, what Jesus says about the kingdom of, of God is at hand. It's, it's good enough that uh, you find it in the, in the shape of a treasure in the middle of a field and you sell everything you have for that field. Like you, you go to the utmost degree to go to this thing. And it's so bizarre to me now looking back in retrospective, someone who used to really respect John MacArthur and someone who used to really adhere to that kind of theology, you see this worldview of self-hatred. Like I was, I had a conversation even before I started deconstructing of if you if you want your students to remain abstinent, which we can talk about sexual ethics forever, but if you want that, if that is your goal for the, the children in your student ministry, then the worst thing you can possibly teach them is total depravity. Right. Like the worst thing you can possibly teach them is to hate themselves. Like I think this is value. depravity in general is just, <laughs> I mean, that that is one of the most destructive uh theological tenets that i can think of right well well this is that's the thing is like this is valuable because you're valuable like this the kingdom of heaven is comprised of you like jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven but we are the like the kingdom citizens like we're valuable like the 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 entire idea that somehow our existence is is compiled in depravity is just it's mind boggling that anyone would even think that that, that that is a premise that one could start with that is born into Christ. Like it just, it just makes no sense to me Yeah. at this point. It did at one point. I don't know how it did, but it definitely did. Um, well, but with all, sorry, I think, you know, part of it has to do with a succession from Augustine who apparently hated himself. Um, but anyway, without going down that road, <laughs> You know, for some reason, we decided to overemphasize this concept of original sin versus original blessing, right? Mm. And that somehow, because of the quote-unquote fall, that somehow dethroned this higher reality of of who we are as image bearers of god you know that we share in his likeness that he's longed to dwell with us that you know that there's this unconditional love from the beginning you know however you want to read the creation account 
but somehow along the way we've chosen to measure man's worth by again this ability or inability to achieve some standard of righteousness which none of us can <laughs> but, you know what i mean it's like we begin using a measuring stick by our own creation to judge other people instead of recognizing the inherent goodness that God has put in everyone because of his creative grace. You know what I mean? And, and the more and more people wake up to the reality of how loved they are, the more they will live out their intended design as beloved image bearers. It's not going to beat it out of them. I don't know a single mm. person that the more that they hate themselves and the more that they despise themselves somehow live healthier, holier lives. Well, it's like denying yourself to take up your cross. It's that like mentality that the more you deny, 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 the more holy you are. And so there's almost this like value to suppressing your emotions and your questions and you know, bringing yourself to this place of just not even recognizing your own thoughts anymore and completely separating yourself from any form of independent thinking. Um, yeah. I know that organized religion a lot does not allow that independent thinking because it's harder to, and, and this kind of goes into, you know, like uh, the colonization of the Bible, but um, any independent thinking is wrong and yeah. any, you know, misstep or anything outside of this one singular path is so dangerous. You're in danger now, you know, and nobody wants to be in danger. Nobody wants to feel like they're wrong. And so you get this message your whole life that it's this narrow, narrow path. And you have to like, it's like a tightrope. You have to, you have to tow it just right. And so any, any thoughts that are not Christ's thoughts or, you know, is bad, it's volatile. And so you start like avoiding that and, and bringing separation to those thoughts. And I don't know, I just, you know, having a really heavy background in therapy and going through therapy, honestly, I started in fourth grade, you know, like mm. going through therapy my whole life. I'm in therapy right now. Um, and being able to connect those thoughts, I feel like I've really been gifted with having a really messed up childhood that I'm able to, you know, process things as an adult in a very different way because I I, I feel like my story kind of led to um, very critical thinking about what I'm thinking and why I'm thinking them, you know, um, just that's like the process of life for me. Um, mm. So coming back to now this, you know, I've deconstructed in a lot of ways, I've walked away from traditional church. I'm not really interested in fitting a mold. I'm not interested in people telling me how I need to live my life, not from a rebellious standpoint, but just, I will figure out what works for me. Thank you for your concern yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. Because I don't, I, how, how can I trust an institution that has controlled for so long and will not critically look at themselves? So I mm. figure it out on my own now, you know, yeah. because I, there, um, this church that we just left not too long ago, you know, is in, 
in the deep water for embezzlement, you know, and will not and like puts their staff on leave of absences when they challenge the the leader, you know, and it just it's so wrong. And like, it's it's a dime a dozen, though. Like, I wish that was the exception to the rule. But it honestly, like I can look around and like every church, I just, where is the safety? Where is accountability? You know, you're called out and it's like, oh, well, we're imperfect. So we're, (laughs) you know, and it's just like, no, that's not good enough. Yeah. Literally in a system that is actively traumatizing people and your response is, we're working on it. We'll get there, you know, and it's honestly, it's so driven by ego finances and not pissing people off. Because yeah. they come to church for one thing, and that is the status quo. And if you challenge that status quo, you have, you know, status to lose. You have money to lose. You're outcasted. And for a big leader, that you, you know, we've had different leaders come to us in big churches that, you know, are, are uncomfortable with deconstructing. You know, that yeah. want to have these questions answered, but like they have too much to lose. You know. Yeah. And, so it keeps this, like the church trapped in this status quo thinking while all the while the congregation and then the community around the people that are in the congregation are being tormented and traumatized by this message that they're receiving that everybody, I think everybody collectively, if you think about it cognitively realizes that there needs to be another reformation and a big yeah. one you know, and this isn't talking about like the second coming or anything, but like, like a a radical, like come to Jesus moment of like, what the fuck are we doing? This, Mm. we're so worried about losing our youth. Well, yeah, you've isolated all of them. Wait, you need more like lighting and like cooler worship teams and (laughs) better coffee and a sweeter social media team as well with the the photographers every church needs to look like mosaic that's going to be how we're going to win all the millennials over right in the years exactly what's what uh it's what uh science mike (laughs) yeah oh yeah well that's what science mike talks about he calls those churches the uh the sexy sexless churches where it's (laughs) like you you bring them in with these lights and this this kind of glitz and glam and and the co- and the pastor's like sitting there with his message translation and a pour over and some skinny jeans and some oh like, yeah Uzi's or something like that and nothing like an old white dude trying to act like he's at least 20 to 30 years younger than he is oh don't get me started um <laughs> but but that's the thing is it's like we and and that kind of goes to your point rachel that that i would further that question and be like why are people supposed to trust the advice of an institution that time and time again makes it blatantly obvious that they do not have my best interest in mind right yeah and i just i don't know continue yeah it's honestly it's fear driven it's so much easier to whether it's subconscious, I think it's mostly subconscious. I don't think people are consciously thinking, I've got to use fear and control to keep people in check. But because so much of our theological constructs and these systems that we found ourselves in through modern evangelicalism have been constructed around this fear of if I question things, if I leave the status quo, then I'm on the slippery slope. I'm on the 
path to destruction. I'm just following my desires. I'm just listening to teaching that tickles my ears and all the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so you have people one. so afraid and they strip these verses out of talk uh, context. And then you, you have a flat literal reading of scripture that causes you to take every literal thing in scripture as thus saith the Lord. And mm. what ends up happening is you keep people bound in the covers of scripture feeling like they're suffocated between these two leather covers when in reality that's a, a a doorway into a story into an experience that should yes inform our understanding to an extent but not limit us from being able to experience the very real Jesus who invites us into intimate union with him and I think so many people are afraid of subjectivity and not having a, a measurable way of knowing how God is leading an individual and all these or things. Or where they are on the holy line, you know? Right. right. And, you know, if this doesn't fit my perspective, then you're wayward and you're, you know, creeping into dangerous territory with your mm -hmm. theology. And it's just so fear-driven. Well, what if you are? Okay, well, uh, well, then... If you go too far, then you're off the deep end, and then uh, maybe your your salvation you're is at people astray. leading people astray. What if your salvation is at risk? What if, like, first of all, fuck that. Salvation isn't something that you can just lose. Like you have a a shiny coin in your pocket. That Listen, can... I lose literally. I got a black mask a week ago, and I have lost that thing like twenty times. And <laughs> I lose everything all the time so like if it were up to me to keep my salvation oh my god that thing would be lost like 20 years ago like i'm not even kidding like, <laughs> right my derek got me key finders for christmas one year and i oh yes keys all the time <laughs> True. with a key finder i have That's to awesome. attach it to her body now um <laughs> the reality is that again there's just so much fear fear of what if i'm deceived fear of what if like uh, the, the devil is, is the one who's causing us to believe these things. Like, what if it's demonic? What if, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just deceived by sin and, and, and my own desires and, you know, what I want and all these, th it just, there's so much fear, 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 control, control, control. And the reality is, is that Jesus is much bigger than that. And if perfect mm. casts out fear, and, 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 and God truly is love. And the closer that we get to love and the closer that we live in intimate union with God himself, the less fear should be present in our lives. But why is it that so much of evangelicalism and fundamentalism is steeped in fear? Yeah. Is it maybe because we've drifted from the God who is love and the person that, that is Jesus who came to introduce us into this living, breathing dynamic not static not stale not empty but life-changing transformative journey of genuine friendship with god yeah totally and, and to, to kind of answer that question of of why i mean i'm as someone who's been in church their whole life i mean i think the only answer that i can come to is that people in fear are much more easy to control much excuse me much easier to control and regulate than people who are in love mm -hmm. and so with that it's i mean it, it's it's not a 
it's not a and and that's not me saying i'm i'm anti-establishment or i'm anti-church like i'm very pro-church like i'm very pro because i i i have hope for it and i and i i see it and i i believe that something is happening like you said rachel a a reformation like Mm -hmm. i believe that something is going to happen something is happening that is going to bring church leadership and congregations into a place where they are once again walking in love instead of fear yeah jeff turner who's a really great guy within the uh i guess deconstruction world for lack of a better term um he's an author and anyway just a facebook friend that i've made but he said something the other day that i thought was so profound and it was most people think this is a great falling away but i see a great awakening and that's the truth is that so many people are, you know, and this, this word has negative connotations because of the political uh, affiliation now being used with this term, but so many people are waking up, right? Waking up to the dysfunction in the church, waking up to the real trauma happening, uh, the real hidden agendas, um, how much the church has become a business, how so much of our theology that we've come to believe isn't the only way of believing and really hasn't done us much good. How we're known, not by our love, as Jesus said, we should be known, but we're known by what we're against and what we hate and the polarizing political figures that we endorse. Um, what happened to us being a radical community of love that would be willing to give of ourselves Again, to, to borrow from a, another person, Brad Jersak, you know, in a self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love that was modeled by Jesus. Mm. And if we really want to be as the church was intended to be, then we need to get back to discovering our roots. And it's not about being this flashy, hip, you know, awesome production sort of event driven business empire and being more of a messy family that is committed to everyday life with one another and who's not afraid to ask hard questions and not force one to fit into a mold. And here's, here's something that I want to say is that there's so much of even the church today that's criticizing a lot of deconstruction and they'll say things like, you know, Oh, that's heresy. Right. Or, Oh, that's false teaching. You know, perfect example is like I was saying earlier with universal reconciliation, or it's also known as apocatastasis, which is the restoration of all things. So many people have heard, Oh, that's just false teaching. That's that was condemned as heresy. Um, you know, in the early church when Origen was condemned as a false teacher. Well, the more and more people are uncovering the truth of church history, they're realizing that actually that was either after the fact or a lot of the agenda that they had against Origen was done before that particular council was even gathered. So what I'm trying to get at is a lot of the things that we think are black and white and off limits and unquestionable should not be written off as unorthodox or heretical or false teaching. But truthfully, yeah. is when we have a more ecumenical scope, we get to a place where the table of fellowship is much longer and wider than we have imagined it to be. 
And we need to get back to having a more embracing, inclusive vision for the church and for the gospel than we have and that evangelicalism has made. So hmm. I, I, you know, our hope for the church is that we would be a loving, embracing, inclusive community of, of people who sees the individual and doesn't want them to conform to anything particular other than let me help you to become all that God has created you to be, not by coercion, not by shame, not by manipulation, but by you knowing fundamentally at your core, you were loved as you are. And the reality is, is that as we introduce people to these life-giving relationships with Jesus and with the family of God that we should be, all backgrounds and all different perspectives, together as one body, we're going to best reflect this God that we claim to know and to love. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dang, that's so good. Um, well, you talked about being an inclusive community and we're already an hour in. So I think now would be a great time to talk a little bit about the project that you guys have been working on together, which it's been amazing and and slightly uh, mind boggling to watch it grow. Um, I was just looking at, at some of the, some of the posts that you guys have made. And the first post had 94 likes um, and it was at the beginning of July. Mm -hmm. And now we're here at the end of August and you almost have 12,000 followers. Um, And the most recent post has almost 14,000 likes, which isn't even your highest liked post. The first one is almost 20,000 likes. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's funny when Derek was in California, I got like really triggered. Usually that's how things come about in my life. I I feel really triggered and I'm like, I got to do something about this. So, um, there was somebody in our community who I ended up deleting over the whole black lives matter, um, thing because he called me a girl First off, I'm not a girl, I'm a woman. I drive a, a minivan with my two children, one who goes to daycare, and I am a gr- I'm a grown-ass woman, and I will not yeah. tolerate anybody calling me a girl. Yeah. Um, and then he called me like all of these other names, which I can't even remember, probably like stupid or something like that. But like girl really got to me. Cause I'm like, how dare you strip me a white man, evangelical man, who is talking out against black lives and their movement. And then call, like, deduce me to a girl. That, number one. Reduce you to a girl. Whatever. I always say deduce, and I don't even know where I got that from (laughs) in my language, and I can't get it out. But I mean reduce. She was chucking up Um, deduces. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. she said deduces to that guy. Um, So for me, like, I was just, like, already really upset. And that was somebody who called Derek years ago a heretic. Um, Oh, boy. And I was like, you know, I we are heretics and I'm not going to let anybody else claim that over our lives. And I'm going to claim it over our own lives. And I like, I'm not going to use that, have anybody use that as an insult anymore. So I went onto Instagram and I typed in your favorite heretic as like a big, like middle finger to everyone who has been like discounting our journey, discounting me and Derek who've unfriended us. Like another uh, um, guy who performed in our wedding even unfriended us and didn't even give Derek the time of day when he reached Left out to him red. in kindness of why oh. did he delete us? 
you know, just ignored him completely. And this is not something that we would expect from this person. Um, yeah. You know, I've been unfollowed by almost every single one of Derek's groomsmen from our wedding, um, oh, which is fine. I mean, like for me, like I'm, I just, I'm not going to be held back by people. So yeah. you know, typing in like your favorite heretics to, I actually, that was not the first name that I chose. And I was reminded of that. I can't remember what the first name I chose was, but I ended up changing it to your favorite heretics. Um, Cause I was like, you know, every time they think of us now, they're going to remember that we're at their favorite. And it was kind of just like, uh, yeah, if you're going like to call a, us a heretic, can we at least be your favorite? Yeah. Like a little, like, <laughs> like kiss my ass moment. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, I have compassion. I like, well, I, I more fight for the people that I feel have been beat up on. And those people that are trying to quote beat up on us are people that I will show and that I, I will do things directly back at them. That sounds so bad. Let me try that again. Let me try that again. <laughs> I, I will remember them every time I see that somebody feels heard with what we're doing. I will remember them every time I see somebody break through in suffering that they've been under because somebody invalidated them. Those are the people that I will remember. And those are the people that are, I'm going to say, kiss my ass to, because I don't have time for people trying to minimize people's experiences, minimize people's voices because they don't feel like it's in line with the word of God. As if, you know, like my pain can be reduced to just being silent, you know? And so mm. with creating that line, your favorite heretics, it was a lot of just anger on my part of, you know, all of the people who have tried to silence us and all of the people who have tried to invalidate our experiences because, oh, that's just your misunderstanding of what the church, what the church's intention was. And it, I could go off on that, like, that is wrong. That narrative is wrong. You cannot say in, in one month, we posted a church trauma thing one month ago, and we have grown almost 12,000 followers on, on the one likeness that we have all felt hurt by the church. Those mm. are voices that you can't keep quiet any longer. That's, those are the, the voices that the church is trying to, to beat into submission, to control, to dismiss, because it's not fitting within the word of God. It's not fitting within their structure that they've built for years and years and years and their really surface toxic theology that they're preaching from the pulpit, you know, and their community groups where they come together, have like a few points to talk about. And it's just all, you know, like, how can I be better for Jesus? Like, like that's not working anymore. And people are coming to us and saying that what we're doing is wrong because we are allowing people to get in their feelings and they're like, well, what's next after that? You know, sometimes there isn't a what next. Sometimes yeah. it reminds me of the movie Inside Out where um, Joy is like, oh my gosh, let's be happy. Let's be happy. And then sadness sits with Bing Bong <laughs> and just cries with Bing Bong. I love that name. It's so cute. <laughs> But, you know, in that moment, they didn't need joy. Like, bing bong didn't... <laughs> I cannot say that. <laughs> <laughs> With a straight face. 
But in that moment, <laughs> I can't know. In that moment, Bing Bong didn't need joy. Bing Bong needed sadness. You know, Bing Bong needed sadness to come back <laughs> and wrap her arm around him and cry his little candy eyes out, you know? And I yeah. feel like this Instagram is in a way like sadness wrapping its arms around somebody to then catapult them to feeling better. I don't expect this to be the end all be all of where people, you know, end. Should I, we yeah. our followers bing bongs now? Bing bong. <laughs> I think so. You know, and like people are all on a different journey on our page and, and we want to respect and value everybody for that. And, you know, people knock on us for saying, well, that I, I personally believe that people should be on a path to spiritual freedom. And if they don't want to stay in the church, like that's their prerogative. Like I'm not mm. control their outcome. And I feel like a lot of people knock on that because they're like, no, you have to point to Christ because he's the only hope. And I'm like, but how, how has that worked? for that message to be preached for so long. And the, that's the only way out. Of the truth is, misery. is that people need to know that Jesus is bigger than us feeling like we need to beat people back into the doors of the church. The reality is, is that, and my pastor said this some time ago, and it was so profound is that Jesus will travel down every row that you go. Mm -hmm. that's who yeah. he is. He's going to be with each and every person, whether they don't want to reconstruct, whether they are, I mean, like, I have to believe that even death, right, can't separate us from the love of God. And that's not just for those who have said yes to Jesus in this life. It's for all people. Nothing can separate us from his love. So that means nothing's going to stop him from from loving each and every individual no matter where they're at yeah whether they right. don't want anything to do with christianity because they can't separate it from their trauma you know rachel and i both agree that we want everyone to know jesus but it, it we're not going to strong arm anyone into a particular mold that they need to be on this path that or just just get over your your trauma just get over your pain and and mm -hmm. just Declare just, the truth. Yeah, and just go back to being a Christian. You know, spiritual bypassing. For me, I think yeah. I'm a little bit more liberal with Derek in that that I don't feel like people need to go down the path of Christianity. You know, and I mean that is in direct conflict with what a lot of people believe. Um, but for me, like I know the pain, and I know that a lot, like everyone is different, and I know that. Um, I would hate for anybody to feel outcasted or unaccepted from me because I think that they need to fit a specific box. So with even saying like, yeah, I wish everybody could understand their like that Jesus loves them. Like that's kind of traumatizing for some people. And I yeah. don't want to say that, you know, I don't want people to think that that's what I want for them. I want them to feel healed and whole. And with the way that they do that, like, you know, if they found themselves in a church that that did not fulfill the brief that they were promised, then, you know, absolutely that's their, and, and I keep on saying this, I'm not going to tell a grown ass adult what they need to do. You know, I'm not going to sit there and pretend like I know what's best for their life, what's best for them. And, you know, a lot of Christians disagree. And even my husband disagrees with me that, you know, the best for you is 
to know the love of God. And I, I personally agree with that in my life, but I'm not going to sit there and tell somebody who's found a lot of liberation and atheism from their trauma of the church. Oh, but you need to revisit this. You know, that's, yeah. that I, and I hated evangelical Christianity because I felt like I had to invalidate every single person that came in contact with me and that they had to understand something that yeah. I had understood you know, and, and, and I feel really, really thankful to have, um, a degree in religious studies to, you know, study under like, honestly, the, one of the top five, um, Islam, uh, scholars in the world, you know, hit the way he talked was way above my head. So I don't know how much I actually learned, but to, to sit under him and study under him. And then the same, you know, like, speaking with a scholar who literally went um, and studied Buddhism for years and years and years with the monks and came back and I'm receiving that education. How, you know, and like uh, for part of one of my, um, for part of my degree, I had to go and sit in a Hindu temple with the guru of the temple. And that was a like just just studying with other people and other religions and coming into contact with things that I wasn't familiar with. I just right. remember sitting in front of um, the Hindu woman uh, and listening to her talk and just thinking that so many Christians would try and convert her and say that all of her experience was just chalked up to being demonic and misguided and, you know, I, I just couldn't buy it anymore. And, and regardless of what I believe in my Christianity, like cannot invalidate other people's faith, other people's faith experiences, just chalking it up to being demonic. That, that right. doesn't work. You know, yeah. you're talking about the millennia of culture and history and studying and scholars and recorded historic documents and people groups that you're just all lumping into this one. Oh, but they don't have the truth. They don't have the understanding. I just don't buy that, you know, and the same with atheists. Like you can't, many atheists are very spiritual and that's something a lot of people don't understand, you know, just because you're an atheist does not mean that you're not spiritual. And right. You can't, negate somebody's truth or their experience just because you live a different truth. Mm. Um, and so that's really where I've landed and where I just, with this Instagram, I'm so careful because you can reintroduce trauma just by simply saying you're a Christian and just by simply saying you want people to know the love of God. Um, mm. Because for a lot that, that didn't work out for them and it can re-traumatize them that there's something wrong with them. You know, there's nothing right. wrong with them. They just, the church fell short. Their parents fell short. The community fell short, you know? And if it's so important for the church to know or for everybody to know that the church is the answer and Jesus is the answer, then make it so. Make it that way. All I see is that you guys are more holding tightly onto your word, holding tightly onto your finances, your power, your image, this like coffee, Jesus, like preachers and sneakers kind of era of 
faulting everybody else for leaving the church. Oh, it's their fault. They misunderstood. That's that that does not work. You cannot isolate everybody who's had a bad experience in the church as their fault. It is the church's responsibility. End of story. And that is parents, that's the community, church, not the big C, even though the big C church is at fault. It's what the message breeds. Mm. You no, know, I don't see Jesus being this person that isolates people because they didn't he I don't let me start that over. <laughs> I tripped over my words. I don't see Jesus being the person that excluded anybody because they didn't believe that he was God. Mm. I see him eating dinner with them. I see him bending down in the sand and drawing a line. You know, and Unfortunately, we're not Jesus. <laughs> as unfortunate <laughs> as that is. Yeah. You know? So to expect that somebody would re- like need to receive that from us is is misguided and jaded. That yeah. they would need, you know, that there would be this altar call at the end of every dinner for us to receive this message of Jesus, you know, because I have the truth and you need to have the truth and da da da. Like he was who he was. You know, and and by his kindness people were drawn to him and not because of his judgment. You know, mm. we're sitting here doing this podcast. Yeah. It's really funny. We have to monitor the comments on our most recent post because we don't feel comfortable. It um our most recent post is about uh the LGBTQIA community plus community. And so we're, we feel very uncomfortable facilitating that conversation of disagreeing because of course, you know, that's the hottest button of everybody, you know, with, it's a very easily pointed out sin to a lot of Christians. And so we feel very uncomfortable with a lot of that community on our page, allowing that conversation to happen where people who might be struggling to see that. And so people leave comments like judgment day is coming twisting the word this this and this and i'm like okay so you're the person who you're you're the person who's traumatizing and you don't understand you know and you're weaponized by your bible to sit there and tell everybody what's right and what's wrong and people have this idea that that's what jesus was and i'm not saying that he didn't do that in some way but i'm saying i um i i think people are in missing the mark completely and they're placing the blame and the shame of not receiving the kindness and the grace of god because god is love because the church is doing it incorrectly and so they're like oh the believers are wrong because god is actually love and they just can't see it well the church is not representing that yeah so it's not god's fault it's not their fault. It's your fault. Mm. Where are you in this equation? Mm. Why haven't you taken up that accountability? Yeah. You know, you have to turn that narrative on its head. And so many people are like, you're just, you're, t- you're tiptoeing the line of grace gospel. And I'm like, Thank you. <laughs> what? <laughs> like what? Exactly. They're like yeah. not pointing out sin. And I have to lovingly call out some things in some believers that I see um, to, to remind people, you know, of, of sin in their life. And I'm like, 
Well, I, I agree. I think our, our page is a, a great understanding and a jarring reality of sin, mm. except it's different. It's, it's flipped on its head because we've not, we're not pointing out people who are traumatized and telling them that they have to watch out for the, their sin. We are pointing out the sin of the church and the way that she's fallen short. That's the sin that we're pointing out. So if you want to sit here and say that we have a grace gospel, that's fine. But we're holding things accountable that have not have been excluded from being accountable. As if that's a bad thing. Grace. I know. As if it's like a, how dare yeah. you have grace. Yeah, you're you're overemphasizing one of the utmost key tenets of the gospel. How dare you? It, and that's what I hate too. It's like you overemphasize love. You like well, God, God forbid. Right. It's like uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, God is also just. Well, do you know what justice is? Yeah, it's that He wants to punish the the wicked and eternal flames of torment. No, actually, it's that He's a good physician, <laughs> the great yeah. physician who has a restorative justice that like a good physician wants to heal and bring life, not bring pain and torment because that's good and loving. I know we talked about cognitive dissonance before, but like, did I say it correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of the SpongeBob meme. (laughs) He looked at me weird. So I was like, you know, imagination, but it's like cognitive dissonance with the rainbow. But like, honestly, like how, like it absolutely makes sense why the church would do this when you actually look at it from a psychological perspective, because you're, you're believing in a God that like punishes. And so you filter love through punishment, you know, yeah. my, my friend, I don't know if she'll ever listen to this or not. She may, um, that I was talking that like, we aren't, we're no longer friends. You know, she asked me for like a statement of my faith. I gave it to her. Um, stop talking to me. Some that's friend, fine. Lord. That's fine. Uh, need your official statement <laughs> um, of faith that we're going to be friends. But I think, you know, before uh. we stopped being friends, I kind of was withdrawing a little bit anyway, um, because we were talking about parenting and all this stuff. And she quoted like, spare the rod, spoil the child. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And it, you know, like discipline is up to the individual parent. I fully believe that. I don't believe that hitting your child is ever appropriate in any context. Um, But to use the word of God to justify like striking your child to me just seems very misguided. Um, And so it kind of, the Bible clearly says Rachel, (laughs) it kind of, Oh man. Like a lot of people in that fundamentalist evangelical realm where you believe in an eternal, a literal eternal hell um, and torment, like it is just to punish and be angry and to judge people, you know, it, that is justice. And so when you deconstruct, you kind of see it for what it is, is it's evil. It really is just nasty. And the more that we like walk in this direction and just see what people are calling out, that it is just so the culture of Christianity it's almost just like laughable because it's so predictable and it's so like, I really, if there is any way that, you know, Satan has infiltrated the church, it is with the belief that God's judgment is wicked and eternal and like, like beating you into submission, you know, not calling out your goodness and 
the beauty of who you are. Cause like, it's one of those things, like an, an artist, like that creates something beautiful. Are they just going to like throw it down and stomp all over it and walk away and expect it to, you know, I just, it was just because the artist owns the painting and he can do with it what he wants, <laughs> Rachel. Yeah, exactly. It, well, the thing what? Is that we've <laughs> divorced all of these attributes of God and like compartmentalize them instead of realizing that the principal nature of God is love. And when you divorce those characteristics from his fundamental nature that he is love, then it becomes this hermeneutical gymnastics where you're trying to hold everything in balance and you're spinning these plates, you know, and on a unicycle and it's like, it all comes crashing down because you can only do that for so long if you're being intellectually and theologically honest, but mm. we realize that actually everything flows from the revelation that God is love. Then you see that justice and judgment and uh, wrath is an expression of love. And all of these have negative connotations, but they're actually restorative. They're, they're curative, they're healing, they're, they're beneficial. Like I, I, even wrath, like wrath comes from the Greek word orge, if I'm not mistaken, which has English similarities to orgasm, which again is like this peak expression of like an overflow of like passion and love. And it's like, we read it through this retributive lens that it's something terrible to be feared, but actually it should be an expression of God's love that is meant to like do everything to protect us and keep us safe from harm, you know, whatever may try to destroy or harm us. And right. Anyway, it, it all goes back to God being principally love, like fundamental, mm. holy love. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a good note to not, not close on, but to, to kind of wind down on, um, something that you said earlier, Rachel, about Jesus was who Jesus was towards people who are jaded and are uh, frustrated. And and I want to speak to that crowd specifically because this is a podcast for that crowd. Mm -hmm. um, but I also just like, I love the fact that Jesus is who Jesus is. And it's, is, is the Jesus that we follow still the same Jesus that walked with the disgruntled uh, disciples down the road to Emmaus. Right. Like, are we still following that Jesus? Are we still following the Jesus that sat and walked and wasn't like you idiots? Like I'm Jesus. Don't you recognize who I am? But sat with them and listened to their frustration and understood it and walked with them for who knows how many miles yeah. away from the place where all these amazing things were taking place. And at the very end of it, he he didn't even have to say a word like he, his nature just became known to them and he vanished. And it's just, I, it's this bizarre idea to say that those people aren't on the other end of that walk away from Jerusalem, going to understand who Jesus is when by Jesus's very character and actions, that's what he does. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know what to do with that. I just, I, I think reformation is is so necessary yeah. and it and it's happening. And I'm and I'm thankful for for that and and for you guys and and the role that you guys are playing in that. I mean it's it's mm -hmm. just amazing to 
to watch. And, and I guess with that being said, wh- I mean, obviously there's the Instagram, but mm-hmm. where, where can people find you and, and what's next for you guys? Um, where can people find us on At our your favorite heretics? <laughs> <laughs> um, and beyond that, I mean, I'm cool with people finding my personal page on Facebook, uh, Derek Myers. Um, you can link it, Chris, I guess, in the the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Um, but yeah, yes. Send I us a message or something. What's next, though? Uh, yeah. I don't what's know. We've been talking about starting our own podcast. I have a lot of people that I would love um, to talk about different things with. Um, you know, I have a, a close transgender friend that I would love for the church just to hear her story. Mm. Um, because I think a lot of being jaded in a closed minded view of Christianity, you don't put yourself in situations where you learn from people different from yourself. And so I think in bridging that gap with like interfaith understanding, um, and how it's so necessarily important for people to understand others um, and other like realities and other beliefs, um, to specifically, and I know this is kind of different, but on the point of sustainability, if we can't all connect and honor one another, like sustainability would never happen. Mm. And so I think, um, for me, I would love to have a podcast to give people a platform to talk about differences. Um, cause I think that's a really big lost art. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll see where that idea thing goes. I'm uh, applying to graduate school soon to get my master's in Christian thought. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm not an academic. It's so funny. I actually had um, and still have a reading disability, um, which had me in like special needs classes all throughout school. Um so it's funny because like I like on our most recent post, I put insect instead of incest, <laughs> but yeah. I never would have caught that. So um, it's really funny. And like if there's any like way that God has redeemed in my life, it's giving me a love to learn because that was such a struggle my whole life. Um, so it's really interesting that I'm falling more in this like academic world and then I actually have like I'm going to graduate uh, cum laude which is really fun from like a really like top 10 university. Um, yeah. So it's a really big like redeeming point for me where I like how I'm working so hard to like understand these things that are so hard for me to understand, you know? Mm. Um, Cause Derek's like very naturally academic where he can read something and like regurgitate it and understand it and create these complex thoughts on for me. I'm not that way. It is so hard for me to cling to like this academic but I can like explain thought life and like pinpoint the center of your heart all day, you know, but it's just very, very different. Um, yeah. So that's next. Um, keeping on in our Instagram and just. We're writing a book. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just saying that I like have a reading disability. On insects. Yeah. Insects. Gonna... No, um, no, I, I, I want to continue to make music. Um, something that has become more and more apparent. I'm working on a song right now, but I want to write worship music for people going through deconstruction. I feel like so many mm. people resonate with worship, but can't get behind the lyrics because of 
the theological paradigms in which they're coming from. And so mm-hmm. be able to give relatable music for people on whatever, you know, place in the spectrum they are in deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, so that's a little bit of what's next for me. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then, you know, just going on, on podcasts, like, uh, redrawing the bat, you know? Heck yeah. I've heard that's a, that's an okay podcast. It's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's pretty subpar, but it'll do, I guess. Um, no, but in all seriousness, guys, I, I mean, Derek, you've listened. So, you know, I always try to end the show with, um, with it, it, it was a show that started with the idea of helping people maintain spiritual practices through deconstruction and it's kind of become something different uh it's it's kind of taken on a life of its own and that's been very enjoyable um but out of that heart i i always try to end the episode with practicing the spiritual practice of encouragement because i genuinely believe that that is something that is lacking and would do the church a lot of good um so I just want to say thank you first off for being on and thank you for being my friends. Cause that's, <laughs> that's also really fun. Yeah. Um, after you for like a week and I was like, what happened to Chris? You guys look still okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. Uh, the Lord was yeah. to have a friendship. It just felt like there was a missing piece to not hear that Derek was on the phone with Chris in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been crazy out here, but no, I mean, I'm so like, I'm, I told Derek earlier, but I'm so freaking proud of you guys. Like I'm so like, I'm blessed by what you guys are doing with your page. I'm so blessed by the work that you guys are doing. Um, I, I'm so impressed by the way that you guys are taking these very, um, heavy topics that have taken me personally hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to, uh, contemplate and work through and understand like the the bullet points and you guys are presenting people with the bullet points um you guys are making people's deconstruction uh easier you are saving people hours of stress and tears and frustration and confusion by making it very clear like these are probably the things that you're feeling these are probably the things that you're going through and we understand and we hear you and we see you and you're valuable and so I, I'm just, I, I could not be more happy with what you guys are doing as your friend, as a fan, as all of it. Um, yeah, we really, appreciate yeah, that. that was a beautiful way to put it, honestly. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It, it Deconstruction is already frustrating enough. Mm-hmm. What, what is even more frustrating is going through it alone and feeling like there's no simple resources because i mean there are people that are not inclined to podcasts right and that's and and so for people and it's that's the saddest part is counseling people through it and not that i'm a counselor but walking with people through deconstruction you'll send them podcasts and it's like oh well i don't really listen to podcasts well now i'm like well guess what here's this instagram page you can go to and they have all these resources they cite their sources and that's another big thing that i really respect about you guys is that you cite your sources because I think that's super important, but that's just me have- coming from a really nerdy <laughs> standpoint. But uh, but yeah, no, all that to be said, I'm I'm super super proud of you guys and super thankful to call you friends. Mm-hmm. We're thankful to call you friend, man. Yeah. And Heck yeah. Uh, no, really though, it's been it's been great. Um, you know, just having a a safe space for people to 
like you said, to feel seen, to feel understood. I, I think one of, you know, apart from just helping people not feel alone, I think what's someone messaged us the other day that said, you know, I, I guess I've been deconstructing and I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And I remember that mm. for me, I, I didn't even realize I was deconstructing until someone told me what that was. And yeah. I think so many people are, they just don't know it yet. Yeah, and, and it's just giving language to an experience right. and giving a framework mm. to what people are going through so they can start to process it. Yeah, I felt so alone in my thoughts. And a lot of the posts that we're making were things that I I personally went through in the midst of feeling so alone. Because you talk about it and so many people just guide you back to the same answers over and over. And I felt so misunderstood and so alone and struggling. And just that I was calling out from this pit and everybody was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know. Um, so that's that's our hope that people would just find themselves in the words in any small or large way um, to just put words to what they're going through. And if it's not for them, it's not for them. You know, if they want to keep on and what they've been doing, that's totally up to them. It's just, it's a resource and a tool. It's not a mandate, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Heck yeah. Well, thanks again for having us on. Uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Heck yeah. No, you just did my job for me, but, uh, yeah, you guys, it's been great to to have you guys on. So thanks for being on. Thanks so much, man. We love you lots. Yeah. Love you guys too. <laughs>